You are listening to the State Street Podcast. For more information about State Street Community Church, visit us online at statestreet.tv. scheduled on drums the same weekend that you're preaching when time changes. Thank you, Pastor Becky. Very kind of you. Always thinking about the other people. All right. um, So glad that you're here, though, um, on Time Change Week. It's funny because last week we had more people in the first service, and I believe, I don't know this to be sure, that there were some people this morning that woke up and said, not doing it, and then went back to bed. So if you are listening to our podcast right now, because that's what you did, I don't stand in judgment over you. If I wasn't here leading drums or playing drums and preaching and doing other things, I might do the same thing. However, I will say, those that are here are now my favorites. So deal with that. Um, hey, I, I want to tell you uh, some things about going on for Easter coming up. Uh, we have Easter here April 4th, which is also my youngest son's birthday, so... Uh, he's got one of those birthdays that sometimes falls on holidays. Um, I do too, but mine's Columbus Day, and that's really going out of fashion right now, so I'm, I'm good. I'm actually reclaiming October 10th. Um, but Harrison, uh, his birthday is April 4th, where Easter is, so, um, you know, clearly his Easter basket is also his birthday present, right? Is that how that works or no? Um, but uh, we're going to have two services here. We're going to have a Good Friday service at 7. And we're going to have two services at 8.30 and 10.30, like normal. Uh, I think we'll probably take out our backstage um, that, that our, our cameras are on and things like that and, and, and free up a couple more s- spots for chairs and stuff like that. Um, but we do need your help. A, uh, obviously, our volunteer uh, teams always need help. If you'd like to volunteer for greeting or coffee or a children's ministry, uh, Taylor would love to have you. Um, but also, we're going to put out just a, a thing, and this is more just for our, our people that are a part of the church. Um, if you know already, <coughs> if you're coming to which service, and you can let us know, we'll put it out. It's very easy. It does, it does, you don't have to do it. No, I don't want anybody to be like, well, they're making me register for coming to church. That's not what we're doing. It just helps us know how many people are in each service. So that if one service is fuller than others, I can be like, hey, Adam and Shannon, you guys got to go to a different service. Sorry. Um, I, won't let any, I won't tell anybody else to do that but Adam and Shannon, but I will tell them if I have to. So we're going to put that out on Facebook and email and text in the app this week. If you will help us, that's great. Now, don't, again, if, if you've got some kind of moral quandary about saying, I'm, I'm not going to tell you which service I'm going to come to, you don't have to do it. Nobody's making you. But if you want to help the staff out here so we know how, to ma- how many Taylor needs to expect for in each service, how many we're expecting uh, here, uh, it'll help us out to prepare for volunteers and things like that. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited about Easter. I'm excited to see people back. I'm excited there's more and more people I talked to this morning that uh, have gotten vaccinated, these kind of things, and, you know, they're like, you know, licking door handles and stuff when they come in because they feel invincible. So um, regardless, we're glad for whichever way you uh, choose to, to uh, connect with us, but uh, just so glad you're here. Now, this week was International Women's Day, and 
and uh, we always choose something before the sermon to pray about. And uh, women's issues are, are obviously uh, an important issue for all of us. But on International Women's Day, uh, the week of anyway, uh, we just passed it. Uh, we thought that, you know, again, the church should also uh, uphold and celebrate women in the church. Um, we are adequately and, and uh, you know, just, just remarkably led here by certain women in this church as well. And so we, we want to celebrate them. But more than that, um, we also want to lament the abuse against women in our community. Um, <clears throat> if you talk to any police officer, um, they'll tell you that many calls that they get are domestic violence. And uh, not all of them are against women, but m many of them are. And, and uh, I know, I remember seeing my own mother uh, suffer the uh, just consequences and suffer the brutality of domestic abuse. And it can happen in the church, it can happen out of the church. And we just want to be a source of hope for all people. Um, and the hard thing about that is being a source of hope, not only for those who are getting abused, but hopefully for those who are abusing, that people can see a better way forward than uh, whatever it is in them that's, that's causing them to abuse and uh, demean and oppress other people. Um, you know, it, it's been on my heart just this, you know, just last couple of days, we saw a little girl in Nicolau uh, get killed. And um, just we're, we're, we're raising girls and women in a society where the church definitely wants to be a part of celebrating it, but also doing our part to fix whatever ills our society might have uh, regarding uh, women in, in our culture. So, um, you know, I was reading some studies about this, and uh, there was a new study uh, published that one in three 30% uh, of women worldwide have been subjected to either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or non-partner uh, sexual violence in their lifetime. And most of that violence is uh, intimate partner violence. It's somebody they know, um, somebody they're in a relationship with, perhaps. And 27% um, of women aged 15 through 49 um, have been in a relationship report. They've, they've been uh, subjected to some sort of physical violence. And... Um, I just, again, I, I personally know women who have been abused. Um, I've seen the effects of it physically, emotionally, mentally, um, but also spiritually. And um, it's good and right for us to pray uh, for the women in our community and our church. So will you pray with me? God of justice, as we recently celebrated the achievements of women around the globe, Today, we lament the abuse that many women around the world endure each day. For all women in situations of violence and oppression, bring liberation. We pray that we might, here at State Street, be aware of any ways our communities, churches, habits, and even ideas about God wind up harming women created in your image, in the image of God. Most importantly, have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on our situations, have mercy on the people who are suffering abuse, have mercy on those who are abusing, fix the wrongs, heal the broken, bring freedom to the captives. We pray these in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, we are in a series right now on Lent, because uh, it's Lent. It's funny how we do that. 
And um, it is Lent, and Lent is the time before Easter um, where uh, we just kind of prepare our hearts for Easter. Because again, Easter is more than just a holiday where you're g- gathering with your family. It's, it's so much more than that. Easter is the day that we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to get to the resurrection, we have to go through so much other things. We have to go through the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the people that Jesus helped and, and, and brought together, the people that, that Jesus um, condemned and, 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 and spoke against. We have to go through all of these things and then check our own heart and say, where are we coming up short? I've not met a Christian that's done it the right way that has ever stopped asking the questions of introspection of where am I missing the mark? Where, where are things going wrong for me? Where are, like, you know, again, where am I being hurt and where am I hurting others? Because it's important that we ask those questions as a, as a people of faith. Are we living the way that we want to live? Are we making the choices that are wisest? Or are we not? So in this series called The Heart Matters, we've been talking about just um, different views that we have or just different uh, perceptions we have, how we look at the world, how our heart is impacted by the world around us. You know, it's hard to to talk about the world and the world around us and what's going on without talking about uh, social media and uh, the impact of social media on this world. I want to take a real brief poll, and you can answer online as well. Um, in the comments, but uh, also in here. Um, those of you that are on social media, it doesn't have to just be Facebook. You can be on Twitter or Instagram or um, uh, Ben Mannix. Which ones are you on right now? Uh-huh. Yeah, those, those two. Um, it's, it's a new one. Um, but you can answer this still. I, I want to hear, has social media made our world better or worse? Now, this is a broad question. It's hard to answer, right? Because... Um, there are many good things about social media. Uh, I get to connect with, and my wife gets to connect with her family in Romania very easily. We get to see pictures of our nieces and nephew and, and things like this. We get to see uh, her grandmother and her siblings and things like this through social media. It's, it's a great way to connect. I get to connect with you guys. We get our Facebook group on, and we get to laugh and, and, and you know, uh, share things there and, and talk about things and pray for each other and these kind of things. And social media helps facilitate some of that. But it can also be a negative thing, right? We could do comparisons on social media. How many people here often compare yourselves or, or you look at social media and you're like, man, I wish my life was as, imp- was as perfect as the people that I see on social media. I'm sure you think that. I've thought that before. I hope nobody's thought that about my stuff because I try to really you know, reframe that and be like, no, you don't want this. Um, but how many people here would say, has social media made our world better or worse? It's okay, either one, because I'm kind of in between here. So how many people here would say social media has made the world better? How many people here would say it's made the world worse? How many people here would say you're apathetic towards it and you're not sure? It's okay. You're apathetic. All right. How many people here have made a moral judgment? Here's another question, public opinion poll. Um, this is this will get published in a, a paper afterwards, I'm sure. Have you ever made, and this is this, we're, we're being honest with you, this is just us, okay, just us. Have you ever made a moral judgment about a person based on something they've posted on social media? Raise your hand. Yes, I have. Has anybody else? 
you've made a judgment about a person based on what they've posted, either a picture, an idea, a meme, uh, or a comment they've made. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, we all do it. Uh, have you ever, here's another one, have you ever made a moral judgment about your pastor based on something they've posted on social media? It's okay, I judge myself. Um, sometimes I delete myself. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Uh, why are you posting that, dude? It's funny, social media can connect us, but we, we treat it as a sense of importance, right? We give, it, we give it a lot of importance. It's just, you know, this idea of we're sharing ideas and pictures and, and silly memes and, and um, you know, uh, status updates and tweets. But if we're being honest with ourselves, through these social media connections, we've developed feelings and, and opinions about other people based on these digital connections. We have. We look and say, oh, you like that on Facebook? I've done it. I went to some, something or someone. I'm like, who likes this? Oh, no. My friends do. Who likes this show? Who likes this movie? Or who likes this political candidate? Or who likes, you know, and you start thinking, oh, no. Social media can connect us, but it can also divide us. So what brings out the eye rolls for you on social media? This, is, this will be interesting. Um, think about the things that really irritate you most on social media. Is it uh, something someone wears? I know somebody that talks to me often, and, and I've noticed that the thing that really bothers them is when other people wear certain things, and they're making moral judgments about like outfits, um, which always makes me laugh, uh, because like, you know, what, what does it matter? Um, but it does, uh, clearly, to this person, it matters. So you might be getting judged by what you wear online, just to let you know. I won't tell you who's judging you. It's not me. Um, what about, do you judge those who are economically different than you? And you wonder, okay, um, why are they buying this thing when they clearly don't have enough money? Why are they wearing that thing? Why are they going to this place? Or maybe your judgments are more like political judgments uh, for people that are politically different. Why do they support that candidate? Why do they support that idea? Do they not know that that idea is harmful to the world? Or clearly they, they're not as evolved as I am in my political opinions. What about immigrants? Have you judged immigrants before based on, well, they just need to work the system? Criminals. Criminals, well, they, they, they just need to not do wrong things, as some of us have done wrong things and not been caught. Other generations, this seems to be a fairly popular one right now. Uh, millennials judging baby boomers, baby boomers judging millennials, Gen Xers going, what's the deal with Gen Y? Gen Y going, I don't like any of you guys. Other generations. See, there are many different reasons and many different ideas, many different things in this world that we can find to divide us. There are different opinions, there are different ideas, there are different groups we can join. You're a Republican, there are Democrats. You uh, go to this church, they go to that church. They're uh, Jewish, you're a Christian. Uh, you work at this hospital, they work at this health group. You um, are a uh, person that's been arrested and they're in law enforcement. You are, you know, there's all these different things that we can find that could divide us. These people struggle with addiction and you look at these people and they seem to have it all together. Or you seem to think you have it all together and you're judging those who seem to not. I was talking um, this week with uh, someone and 
you know, I, I was saying, you know, in, in my years of ministry now, as um, like old Gandalf, uh, I've learned a couple things that no one's life seems as perfect as it is. I've met with so many people in this church, out of this church. Um, I've talked to people, leaders, all these kind of things. And most people I talk to have something they're dealing with. Something. Uh, an unhappy marriage. Or kids that they're worried about. Or uh, a sibling, an adult sibling that's no longer talking to them because of this. Uh, parents, even though they're adults, that they think is going to reject them if they do something. Or, um, you know, uh, not enough money. They're afraid their mortgage isn't going to get paid. Even though it looks like they've got all this stuff in the world, they're financially strapped to the max. Um, they're having marital problems. They're having all these issues. And I've talked to so many people that look so pristine on the outside. But on the inside, they're going through some of the same things that you think that they don't go through. Faith doubts. Struggles with where to fit in. Where to belong. And social media can sometimes divide us more. Even though I think it ought to, in its core sense, is connect us, sometimes what it does is divide us. For a follower of Jesus, no loyalty to a political or social ideology can justify a turn away from mercy and towards generalism. Today, um, part of the heart thing we're going to talk about is our penchant towards judging, right? Social media is one of the things that we use to, um, as a mediator for our judgments towards other. Sometimes what can happen is we build these feelings about somebody else and we haven't talked to them in a long time, but when we meet with them, this is why actually I got off social media for about three and a half years, almost four years, um, why I got off Facebook, is I was forming opinions about people based on what they posted on social media. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that when I would go into a conversation with someone, I did not have the ability to suspend the things that I read on social media or whatever, because I was then essentially not punishing them, but I was, I was in my mind holding them accountable for these things that I read or they shared or whatever, and, 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 it, and it bothered me. And until I felt in my heart that I could separate some of the things that I don't want to hold people accountable for every little thing they say, just like I don't want to be held accountable for every wrong thing I say, and that really what, what comes down to what we ought to do is, is, is meet people at the heart of it, not just at the, the words. We should meet people where they're at, at the core sense of their being. Yes, maybe out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. But again, I want to know the heart of somebody, not just the words of somebody. That, that Until I could do that, I had to get off there. Because for a follower of Jesus, no loyalty to a political or sociology ideology can justify a turn away from mercy and toward judgmentalism. Mercy is up here. It is ultimate for the Christian. So we're going to be in James uh, again today. And we're going to talk about um, how we view the world. And we're going to talk about, a little more about social media, but also just how we view other Christians, how we view other people in this world. Because our faith, and the way in which you share your faith, and the way in which you live your faith, and the way in which people watch you live your faith, will largely um, be impacted by how you can learn to show mercy, not only to yourself and to your friends, but to your enemies as well. 
So um, we're going to be in James. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to James. It's in your app as well if you're streaming with us online. The notes should be in our church online, live.stastreet.tv, and you can find all of our notes there. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to James 2, and we'll start in the first verse. James, uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, we were in James, uh, one of my favorite books, uh, one of Martin Luther's least favorite books, because James talks about um, actions accompanying faith. Now, I think Luther was wrong in that he believed that James was saying that you have to have actions in order to um, demonstrate that you have faith. I don't think that's what James was getting at, but James was getting at if you have faith, a natural outpouring of that faith is going to be works of love and justice. That'll just be a natural outpouring of a, a real relationship with Christ. And so James 2 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. This idea of partiality and favoritism is some, somewhere else in the scriptures. Do you guys remember where? It's in Acts. Remember when we did an Acts series? And Peter, um, who was having a hard time with Gentile inclusion, uh, the idea that we're going to um, invite people who are outside of the church into the church and not make them do everything that we do, right? That we're going to sit and break bread together even though they're different than us. And Peter's having a hard time with that because, again, he wants to make them do all of the things that he thinks are important. All of the things that he thinks are worthy of doing, Peter wants them to do as well. And God has this vision for Peter, and he, he wakes up from this vision, and, and he comes to this truth that God shows no favorites. God shows no favorites. Jew, Gentile, male or female. Greek, Scythian. American, Canadian, Mexican, right? God shows no favorites. Suppose a person, James goes on to say, comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor person in filthy old clothes who also comes in. So he starts to tell this story about someone who has stuff, somebody that's wealthy that comes in. And this is uh, really painting a picture of kind of a, a, a Roman type of person with a robe and gold rings. Not everyone had gold. Actually, most people didn't have gold. And this person comes in, and you know that this person has some kind of importance in a community, right? Automatically, for us, whenever uh, the scriptures set up someone of importance that's not Christ, we ought to immediately go to this idea that God shows no favorites. Wait a second. God shows no favorites. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, God shows no favorites. Right? Think about this in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. If you show special attention to the person wearing the clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor person, hey, 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 you stand over here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So automatically in Deuteronomy, early on in the scriptures, in the, the book of the law for, for, for Israel, is this idea that you should not show favorites because God does not show favorites. And, and oftentimes our penchant for favorites is those who have things that we want, money oftentimes. And sometimes we don't want their money, but we do want people of importance attention. And what can happen sometimes is, hey, you have money. 
he, here, here's the best seat in the house. Now you don't have anything, you go over here. Or you sit on the floor. Even in Deuteronomy, this idea that, again, God shows no favorite, sorry, uh, is, is in that, right? So here's Deuteronomy 10. For the, love, uh, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribes, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. Again, Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. There is nowhere in the universe where God is not God. There is nowhere in the cosmos where God is not God or Lord, who's mighty and awesome. And if the God of the cosmos shows no favorites or partiality and cannot be bribed, you ought to, as, uh, you should not as well in the way that you execute justice. If our goal is to follow Christ and to follow God and to do like ways, and, and if we affirm that the better ways of Christ are the better ways to live in this world, the ways of justice, the way of peace, the way of compassion, the way of empathy, then our views of justice should follow what we, we read and we see Jesus and God demonstrating who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers. But James says, but you've had people in your meeting and you've discriminated amongst yourself. You've discriminated against people. You've discriminated against people who are different than you. You've judged them as less than because of their money. You judge them as less than because of their political views. You've judged them as less than because they don't have the same answers as you do. You've decided that you are going to be judge and jury of another person when the God of gods and the Lord of lords is not partial. You've decided to show partiality. Second Chronicles. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care what you do, for there is no perversion of justice with the Lord our God, or favorites, or partiality, or taking of bribes. Again, this idea that you cannot bribe God. And I think implicit in there is you, you, your attempts to impress God aren't working. Because God loves you for who you are, not for the things that you think you should do. Not, not like when you finally get to that point and, and you've beat this thing or you've got all the right answers or you've um, given enough money or you've, you've done enough things, then finally God will be partial to you. He will love you. He will choose you. No, 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 no. That's not the way God works. And the, the biblical authors show up the beginning to the end, try to get people to understand that is not the way God works. The way God works is even when people are hurling insults at him, even when people are, are throwing things at God, God cries down to them, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Because God shows no partiality or favorites. God loves because that's the essence of who God is. And James wants the church to know, listen, if we are followers of the ways of Jesus, if, if ultimately you and I want to be more like Jesus, we have to think about the ways in which we are showing partiality as well. 
the way that we're showing favorites. James goes on to say, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eye of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. You've dishonored them. Not just God, but you've dishonored them, and they share in the same image of God that you do. You've dishonored them. By, by, and, and what's interesting here is what, what they've done is they've chosen this way at the expense of this way. And by doing that, by choosing over here, by choosing to honor the rich, by choosing to honor those who they find worthy and not honor those who they find unworthy, They've shown favorites. They've shown partiality. And they've dishonored them. They've dishonored them. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, the Shema, love your Lord, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. And then uh, Jesus adds this second part, and love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right if you do that. But if you show favoritism, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you sin and are convicted in the law of, as lawbreakers. This is really interesting. Because oftentimes we, we put sin at fairly different levels, right? Um, somebody asked me, hey, do, do, you, do, you, do you think it's a sin if, um, and I'll get your opinion on this, do you think it's a sin if when you sign up for something online and there's all that text that you're supposed to read and then you click the thing that says, I agree and I have read this text, and you've all read it, right? Every one of you. All the pages of it. Is it a sin to say yes, you did, even when you didn't? How many people think it is a sin to say yes, you did? How many people would say it's not a sin to say it, and you did it anyway? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a sin. I just do it anyway. I mean, I don't know. It's funny, the idea that people have are, you know, again, I think a, a moral idea of like what is and isn't sin, right? This is, this isn't. Well, I lied there. I said I did it and I didn't really do it, but it's such a small thing, so what does it matter, right? And what's interesting there is, is James doesn't want people to get into this idea of like, hey, let, let's figure out what sin's the most important. Instead, it's you're judging people oftentimes based on what you perceive as their sin. And you don't want to get into any kind of competition of what sin is and isn't important. Because ultimately your goal is not to judge people's sin. It's not to judge your own sin. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your body, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. An interesting text in my opinion. And then it goes on to say, 
speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, but the law that gives freedom. Not the law that brings us back into slavery. Not the law that, that punishes people. The law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But on the other hand, mercy triumphs over judgment. One of the key central truths of our faith. Again, if you judge someone based on a paradigm that you find valuable, just be prepared, essentially James says, that God's going to judge you in the same way. However, if you are merciful to other people in the same way, God will be merciful to you. Because why? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This gets to an idea that I've been noticing um, as we, you know, had a really hard year here at State Street. And we're, we're thinking about building, you know, how do we build back our community? How do we get back together outside of just Sunday morning? Because belonging, this idea that I belong to a group, belonging to a community, belonging to a church, is a primal need for every human. I mean, it literally is this evolutionary need that we need to belong to a tribe, a pack, a, a group. We need to belong somewhere. And the church is a place, should be anyway, a place to belong to. We belong to this community. You belong to this community. How do you know you belong to this community? We break bread together. We sing songs together. We, we grow in our faith together. We ask questions together. We have doubts together. We, 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 we triumph over judgment by showing mercy together. We choose the better ways of love and justice in this world together. But we're hardwired to want to hang out with people and associate ourselves with certain groups. It's interesting, as, as you see kids do this, right? Um, sometimes kids are just wanting, um, they, they kind of grow up, and we see it in our preschool here, kids will oftentimes just hang out with whoever wants to play with them. And um, then they get older, and they have this idea of, A, what is cool, or what, you know, um, they start seeing that this person gets this thing, and, and they get either attention, or they get these things. And so sometimes you see uh, behavioral modifying, right? So what was this person's kind of uh, behavior has changed to mimic this person's because um, ultimately they want to be included and belong to this other person's group. And so what was an, a kid that, you know, maybe didn't look like a skater all of a sudden is in seventh grade and looking like a skater because they found a group to belong to. This happens in other more, let's say, nefarious ways, right, in gang relationships. Um, oftentimes the thing that gets kids, and especially in inner cities and things like this, but also here, into gangs, is a sense of belonging. You have a group. You have a people. You have an identity. You have a place. This is your people. This is your family. You have a place to belong. Many times, the hardest thing for alcoholics to give up is the bar they go to. Why? Because that's the place that they belong to. It's the place that has welcomed them in. Oftentimes, and has seen them at their worst. And so sometimes people want to give up drinking, but what's been the hardest for them is to give up the place they drink at. Because that's where they belong to. We can tend to change our behaviors and habits to gain acceptance, to gain a sense of belonging. And while people can create belonging through love, what often happens, and what we see happen, and even at a younger age, but it seems to keep on going, is 
Many create it through judgment and separation. So then what happens is you're not known for the things that you agree on. You're known for the things that you disagree on together. Oh, you don't like this thing? Either do I. We don't like this thing together. Judgmental people determine who belongs by stating who doesn't belong, right? So uh, the people that are in are those who um, uh, uh, aren't a part of this group. So you're a Democrat. The people that don't belong are the Republicans. Everyone else is good, but you are on the outside. If you're a Republican, the people that don't belong are the Democrats. Let's say you're a part of a, a, you know, a, a, a social club. Those who are a part of that social club um, are, are belong, but you identify based on who's not a part of it. They're not. And we sometimes can become known for not what we're for and what brings us together, but we can be known for what divides us and how we identify those who are on the outside. The problem with all of this, and the problem with judging, the problem with showing favorites, is even though belonging is a primal need, sorry, uh, our judgments are flawed. You don't have perfect judgment, but God's love and mercy are not flawed. And so, what we've learned as people of faith throughout 2,000 years of, of worshiping together as a church is that anytime the church has decided to be known for what they're against and not what they're for, anytime the church has decided that, you know, again, they're going to be a collective organization that walls up instead of builds a bridge, what we see ultimately is damage being done not only to the name of Christ, but ultimately to the church. But anytime the church trusts that God's love and mercy are perfect and that it's big enough to, to get by and, and get past the things that divide us, we see the kingdom of God getting built. Our judgments are flawed. The way you think about people, the way you think you understand people are flawed. You think you know this person, I promise you, you don't know them perfectly. Even your spouse, you don't know them perfectly. I can tell you, I don't even know myself perfectly. Our judgments are flawed. What you think about somebody else is flawed. You might know a lot about them, but it's still flawed. So when James kind of talks to the early church, his problem is, is you cannot judge perfectly. And since you can't judge perfectly, and God can, maybe you can then just trust that love and mercy are enough. So when you can blame other people, have mercy. When, when you can shame other people, have mercy. When you can criticize other people, and maybe it's legitimate, maybe they try to have mercy instead. When you can condemn, have mercy. As Christ has mercy for us. When you have a political disagreement, have mercy. When you have a theological disagreement, have mercy. When you are certain you are completely right, have mercy. When you could exact your revenge and get even at a church properly, have mercy. You know, this idea to, 
choose mercy over judgment isn't just an annoyance. The integrity of the church is on the line. When we show favorites, we misunderstand the very nature of God's love for the world. We build walls when God wants to destroy them. And if we're carrying around disdain for a group of people or someone because of what they believe, we have to look at our heart because the heart matters. It's not just what you believe. It's not just what you say. It's how you feel about other people as well. Simply because it dishonors you. Simply because somebody makes you mad. Simply because they're not aligning with what your perception of good goodness is. It doesn't often mean it dishonors God, right? Just because it dishonors you doesn't necessarily mean it dishonors God. And just because you're impressed with something, it doesn't mean that it impresses God. So, so leave the judgments to God. Leave the, the idea that you have to be judge, jury, and executioner of the world to the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Here's what I'm learning. Often, over and over again, the early church is commanded, don't despise anyone. Don't judge anyone. Why? Because God has accepted you, and God has accepted them. So live within that truth. Not for who you have to be, not for who you are going to be, but God loves you today for who you are. When I was at a monastery a couple years, many years ago now, um, I learned a prayer there that uh, has helped me. And it's a very simple prayer, and it's an ancient prayer. And, um, and it's a prayer built on this idea of mercy, mercy over judgment, right? And, um, and, and it's this idea that if we just pray this prayer over and over again in our hearts, in our minds, just maybe even whisper it slowly, uh, there's something that happens. We, we start putting our focus off of the things bothering us. We stop focusing on the things that we saw on social media or uh, somebody said to you. And we start then putting our focus back on the idea of mercy. But what I love about this prayer is uh, that it's not very specific. And it, it just says this, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And so what I'll often do when I pray, and you can try this, is maybe there'll be somebody I'm upset with or something that I'm upset with or something I'm nervous about or anxious about. And I try to go somewhere where I can calm down, where I can slow my heart rate down a little bit because when I get upset, my heart rate typically goes up. And I'll just breathe in a little bit and I'll name that thing. You know, the political opinions of this person. I'll just name it. And I don't have to pray for anything specifically. I don't have to... Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And implicit in that mercy is also mercy on me for my disdain, for my, my anger. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the situation that we just saw in Nukulayo with the child dying. I don't, I don't have words. I really don't. I, I, I just don't. 
But I do know that I can pray this. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Maybe it's a marriage. You don't know what to do. You don't even know the words to pray. But you know that it needs mercy. So I just pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And I just, over and over again, sometimes I'll just repeat that. I'll just repeat it in my head or just softly out loud. And I set my heart to the idea that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that Christ brings mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace to the world around me. And you and I are asked to, to join him in that. When I have heartbreak, when I've been hurt, that's what I pray. Lord, have mercy on this situation, on my heart, on this other person. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You know, may we be known here, not for our great programs, though I, I, I love what we do, not for great Sunday services, not for online ministry, not for the preschool, or for the PAC Center or our gardens. I hope State Street is known for their ability and their desire to be merciful in Laporte, to pray for mercy, to show mercy, to live mercifully, because we understand this holy and sacred truth that mercy triumphs over judgment. So will you pray with me as we pray for the heart of uh, uh, the matter, as we think about the Eucharist together, as we think about our own life and our own hearts, um, and we choose a better way. You came in here, you started streaming with us today, you, however you've connected with us, you're here. So I pray that none of us miss this moment, that you've been called to live a merciful life. You've been invited to know the ways of love and justice. And when we don't get it right, there's not condemnation, there's not judgment, there's just another invitation to do it better. But may we honor God in our ability to repent and reflect on the ways in which we've missed the mark, maybe in the ways that we judged others, maybe in the ways that we chose to condemn and destroy in our heart, in our minds, instead of to build up into love. Maybe in the ways that we've lived with so much guilt ourselves, instead of forgiving like Christ forgives. Maybe in the ways that we show favorites to the people that agree with us, over and above those who are different than us. And may God have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. As we pray the Eucharist, will you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 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 Amen.